Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. Hello and welcome to The Agenda. I'm Stephen Cole. Counting down to catastrophe, while the conflict in Ukraine could have a devastating impact on global hunger. The United Nations has warned that the conflict in Ukraine could lead to what it calls a hurricane of hunger and a meltdown of the global food system. And that's because combined, Ukraine and Russia account for almost 30% of global wheat exports, 20% of corn exports, and more than 80% of sunflower oil exports. With ports and shipping routes closed, corn that was harvested last year in Ukraine can't travel anywhere. And there's genuine concern that when this year's crop is ready in July, there won't be enough labor or fuel to run the combine harvesters. Here's how one Ukrainian farmer put it. We don't stop, because I think that after the battlefront is the sowing campaign, which is the, the second front, the front for food security. I think we'll win it. Joining me now from Rome is Monica Totova, economist at the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization. Monica, how concerned is the FAO about the situation in Ukraine? Yes, FAO is very concerned about the situation in Ukraine, as we are very concerned about the situation in uh, every country, particularly those affected by conflict and other crises. So, but uh, in particular in Ukraine, we have a very specific situation. Agriculture is very important for the countries, for the country's economy. We have 7 million IDPs, we have close to 5 million refugees in the neighboring countries, but at the same time, Ukraine is a very important uh, world food producer, right? We are in an environment that the food prices were on high before the conflict started, before the outbreak of the war in uh, February 2022, and the country produces a significant amount of food. Governments have to protect and look after their own populations, but is there a risk that some governments will shield their grain supplies, They'll, they, they, they won't export them because they're, they're worried about their own populations? Well, we have already, we have already seen that, right? But uh, generally, the general prescription is to keep the trade open, both trade in, in grain, in wheat in particular, and in the fertilizer. Now, if a country, country might be tempted to introduce such a policy that we are going to restrict the exports of wheat because we are worried about the impacts on the domestic markets and we are worried that there might not be sufficient supplies on the domestic markets. What this generally leads to is that farmers observe the high prices on the international markets and they would like to make those high prices. So you have discontent among the farmers who want to export rather than uh, selling at the, the domestic government and earn the foreign exchange which then the country could use to import some other goods. It's not only the bread, right, that yeah. is part of the, of the human diet. How long do you estimate the world can survive without getting the, the, the normal supplies from Ukraine and Russia? We will have to see how long this, um, this is going to, how long the conflict is going to continue and how long the... The, what will be the impact on the logistical infrastructure in Ukraine, whether it will be able to restart exports 
and supply those um, to the world. If this is not the case, then countries indeed will have to just look for alternative origins and be ready to pay higher costs. Now, for the current, uh, we are now at the end of the marketing year, right? Currently, the weed that is being traded is the weed that was harvested almost a year ago, in June, July 2021. Soon, the new harvest is going to come in, in the Northern Hemisphere, right? So we'll have to see exactly how this is going to work out and where countries can get the price. I wonder if all of this COVID and the conflict in Ukraine has refocused the minds of government about the importance of food security. Do you see governments and certainly yourselves taking it more seriously? The, the United Nations was always concerned about the, about the impact on food security in the countries affected by, by crisis, right? And um, by high level of uh, food insecurity. And I think that the current discussion in terms of, uh, which involves two very big players on the international markets is bringing the discussion on food security also closer to home in other countries, perhaps that were not directly affected by alarming food, food insecurity levels, but they are now concerned about the impact of these high food and energy prices on domestic inflation. Monica Tothova, many thanks to you for joining us here on the agenda. Ukraine has often been referred to as the breadbasket of Europe. So what will the impact really be on the rest of the continent if that basket is empty? Joining me now from Brussels is Pekka Persenen, the Secretary General of COPA, which represents European farmers, and Kojeka, which represents European agri-cooperatives. First of all, Pekka, to what extent would you say Europeans are reliant on Ukrainian agriculture? Ukraine is our, one of our closest neighbors and also very close in, uh, in our trading patterns. We spend something like 10 to 11 million tons of um, Ukrainian maize in European agriculture, mainly feeding animals, but also processing into other commodities and other products. We also trade with Ukraine. Um, they buy our goods. And uh, we actually are hoping that uh, these trade relations would develop favorably to both directions. And in this respect, this is another misfortune, bad development of international relations when, when we lose our Ukrainian trade as it stood only until quite recently. So to what percentage would you say uh, Europe is reliant on Ukrainian agriculture in terms of wheat to begin with? Well, we are not that much dependent on wheat because basically this is a um, product that is consumed mainly in other parts of the world. Uh, we are trading wheat also from Europe, and we are one of the big traders uh, as the European Union. Most of the wheat that Ukraine produces goes to third countries, such as North Africa, Egypt, and Middle East. And uh, therefore, it is uh, important for us in Europe to consider the third country consequences of the ongoing crisis. And this we consider also very important in Europe. We need to carry out weight so that we would not be um, endangering uh, the supplies that are going to be diminishing of obvious reasons uh, from Ukraine. And therefore, European Union must put up an act to make sure that we have um, stable supplies of food, agricultural commodities to the market. Are you, you concerned that Ukraine may not be able to plant crops, uh, certainly in time for this year's harvest? 
Well, we are indeed uh, quite worried about this and mainly for the instability that that would create to the international market. However, we need to also consider this in a more nuanced manner. While the eastern Ukraine and the, the territories that are directly under the military action, uh, Russian troops invading Ukraine would most probably find it very difficult to, to maintain the agricultural activity. But then in the western part, in the central part of Ukraine, and especially the closer to the EU borders, we still have some marginal maneuver, and especially when it comes to reallocation of Ukrainian-owned production plants and their resourcing, especially from partly from maize to wheat, and especially underlying the importance of uh, vegetable production, which is uh, substantial also in Ukrainian agriculture. So we see some opportunities for the Ukrainian farmers to reassess their production plans. And we would hope that they would actually do that primarily for their own reasons, supplying their own markets for their food security, but also partially to offset some of the consequences that we have seen now uh, uh, due to the Russian aggression. Do you think they're capable of doing that at this time? Well, farmers all over the place, and not only Ukraine, but also globally speaking, are quite resilient people when it comes to uh, reorganizing themselves. We have uh, reason to believe that they do not have full set of inputs, but this is the same also in here in the European Union and European uh, European Union farmers. We do not have the full volume of fertilizers. We have very high prices of fertilizers. We have very high prices of fuel. Also in Ukraine, they have lost a big part of their inputs, especially if diesel fuel has been taken over by the military. And then uh, most probably there will be huge risks in the distribution of uh, fuel in in future. So most probably they will have these bottlenecks. But fundamentally, we believe that the the Ukrainian farmers, like any farmer globally, would do their utmost to offset these consequences as much as they can. And we have reason to believe that they will be eventually able to to produce at least to a certain extent so that we uh, we would avoid the the famous uh, 1930s famine that was actually quite devastating for the Ukrainian people. You mentioned costs, Pekka. I mean, the cost of fertilizer and feed have almost doubled, haven't they? Um, uh, They are still facing real problems with planning for the future, with costs rising as fast as they are. And will they continue to rise, do you think? It's difficult to say about the future. We have seen some stabilizing of the fuel market, especially consumer prices uh, markets that we each and everyone have seen. But then uh, uh, the reality is that uh, we would not go back to the to the era uh, before the war. Most probably we would have higher prices, especially for energy. We will most probably have higher prices for fertilizers as we are dependent on the Russian imports, both in, in the fertilizers themselves, but also uh, when it comes to nitrogen fertilizers uh, in uh, natural gas. So we have reason to believe that we have to get adapted to the new situation. And that opens also, while it is difficult for us, that opens new opportunities for European farming sector to provide assistance to the society when it comes to other uh, sourcing. And typically, we are very much motivated to take a look into how can we use our resources for for renewable energy, for instance, because um, quite famously, everybody wants to get out of dependency on Russian uh, imports. And uh, there we can also develop new technologies, new ways of uh, developing agricultural activity where we could actually play a constructive role in European agriculture and also with our partners internationally. 
we have been promoting this in the past and we will be most probably doing this now in concrete terms because of the consequences to the marketplace. Is, is that what you meant, Pekka, when you said um, you need a food shield to counter Russia's use of food security as a weapon? Or, 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 what, what do you mean by that? We need to increase our resilience. We need to increase our inter- independence. It doesn't mean that we step away from international trade and uh, stop trading with our partners, but we need to be much more dependent in what we do. And this requires certain tolerances to be f- further developed, especially in, in the case of energy and in uh, critical supplies such as fertilizers, also to a certain extent when it comes to pesticides. But also we need to assess and reassess our policies in the EU. How can we actually offset these changes through other means? And by this, I mean that instead of using fertilizers, can we come up with some other alternative sourcing? Can we come up with a mix of products that actually could could enable farmers to continue their activities and produce that famously um, uh, popular protein crops, and especially for human consumption? But it's more to do with the, how the market reality and how the consumer market would act in relation of, of these changes. We have been very supportive for organic sector, but then organic sector is not going to be a full-scale solution for European agriculture. But we not, have to sustain its economic viability. Certainly not in the short term. I, I, wonder, no. uh, I, I wonder if European farmers are able to help their Ukrainian counterparts. We have made some donations. We have actually financially... Many members of ours have actually donated financial resources to these efforts. Uh, we have received also a substantial list of um, uh, products or inputs that our colleagues are interested in in having uh, to sustain their agricultural activity. We are looking into that uh, as we speak together with other stakeholders and the institutions, how we can materialize this in concrete actions and how soon can we actually deliver those those goods and how that would work in practice. But as you could imagine, we're talking about thousands of kilometers, transports, logistics, value-added products would be most probably the, the obvious target, but then how to do it without creating another requirement for the, uh, for the let's say, uh, the, the, the sparse resources that, uh, the scarce resources that we have in our logistics. Can we only, um, let's say, send a truck truck full of goods to the Polish border and trust that someone when someone will take it over. Um, no, this is not the way to do it. We need to secure the, the, the recipient. We need to work with our Ukrainian colleagues and their administration. We need to secure the logistical uh, chains, channels that we work, work with. We need to coordinate this with our European stakeholder colleagues, and we need to coordinate this uh, specifically with European Union institutions, especially the Commission. So the work is ongoing and um, to a big part of that, that would be very concrete. As we all know, food and agriculture supply chains have been severely impacted uh, because of COVID. Did the lesson you learned from COVID or the lessons you're learning from COVID uh, help you cope with this latest emergency? Or are you talking about a giant reset for the farming communities across Europe? I shouldn't say this, but we we got lucky. We cut COVID-19 and in fact, nobody's talking about COVID-19 anymore. Um, But then the the lesson that we learned is actually what we we can deliver, the resilience of agri-food chain in the EU and globally. 
we had major bottlenecks with the COVID-19 first, first stage. Uh, when the member states were closing the borders, there were restrictions for movement of people and goods. Um, there were desperate attempts to secure some societies from uh, exposure to the disease. However, together with other stakeholders, our uh, food industry, uh, input industries, farming community, cooperatives, retailers, catering, as much as was left, we managed to come up with the, with the systems that actually secured uh, the flow of critically important import, uh, inputs to agriculture sector, including uh, labor force, seasonal labor. Actually, we could actually return back to, if not normal, but at least to the critical minimum volume of people working abroad. Uh, we work together with member states, uh, authorities and the commission, civil servants, commission departments. And I'm very proud to say that we actually managed to offset most of the difficulties that we faced in the very first part of the COVID-19 crisis. And that is the important uh, lesson that we learned from the previous two years that we can actually deliver, but it requires uh, joint action all along the line. And uh, this is where we actually proved, proved to be good at. Pekka Persinen, many thanks to you for joining us here on the agenda. It's such a pleasure. Still to come here on the agenda, a global problem, why the conflict in Ukraine could lead to famine in Africa. Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. Welcome back to The Agenda. As we've heard, the conflict in Ukraine is having a truly global impact on food supplies. And that's only adding existing food security issues in Africa, where COVID, local conflicts and climate change had already left millions across the continent at risk of famine. Joining me now from Nairobi is Professor Ruth Anyanago, Editor-in-Chief of the African Journal of Food, Agriculture, Nutrition and Development. Uh, Professor, how is the conflict in Ukraine affecting food supplies in Africa? It's very interesting that uh, the Ukraine conflict, Russia-Ukraine conflict started and none of us could ever imagine that it would impact the continent. And, you know, it is so far away, but as we know, global trade and uh, interconnectedness and clearly those of us who follow these issues knew, knew that sooner or later something would happen. And uh, what I'm seeing now that is devastating us is that uh, price, uh, food prices are going up. And especially for those who depend on bought food, not their own food, that already was a bad, bad situation given climate change and given the corona crisis. And so we are seeing that the oils, for example, are going up in price. Bread, you know, wheat products are going up in price. And many consumers are asking, what does that war have to do with us? Don't we produce wheat in Kenya, for example? You know, and, and, and then you begin to realize that we import a lot of wheat and we import a lot of vegetable oil, which we use to blend into other foods, which we use as lubricants, which we use in cosmetics, and which we use in many, many essential products. And that's how now that conflict, as it goes on, people are not producing, trade has been affected, the embargo is on, and so clearly things are likely to get worse for us here, especially in the Horn of Africa. Ruth, if the price of the basics, the staples are going up, and you mentioned uh, oil, you mentioned bread, what impact mm. is that having on people? Huge impact, Stephen. You know, we, 
we've always known that the uh, way before Corona, we knew that climate change was there, a drought would come at certain times, but now it's even worse. Farmers don't know when to plant and what they plant is what they feed into the cities as well. So it's like everybody's actually affected. Now we then came Corona and then we are beginning to try and recover economically from the Corona effects. And that has uh, bringing businesses up, getting our tourism, especially in Kenya, and in the Horn of Africa going, and that is not possible anymore because now we have a war. And so it's really having an impact on everybody, a small uh, hand to mouth, you know, uh, Anna's are having a hard time, but it also means those who earn anything at all, you know, the African way of sharing what we have, it means that even all of us are affected because we have to share. We cannot allow anyone to starve. We have relatives who have no income. You know, and this is both in the rural areas, in the cities as well. So, you know, it's it really, the poverty level is really gone up. People don't have jobs. And people are really, really struggling. And you can even find people say, telling you, just send me some food, you know, some money for just food. I can't feed my family. And so, you know, government can try to do what it can. Uh, the donor community, <laughs> a lot of it now, with its, its uh, focus on the Russia-Ukraine issue, and it means that for Africa, we really have to look internally and to see how we can help each other. Are some parts of the continent worse affected than others? Clearly, yeah, clearly they would be, Stephen. They would be because the Horn of Africa is always a, a trouble spot when it comes to food security, hunger and malnutrition. And just given, you know, some of the data that is coming out from some of the international NGOs is that where we have drought, animals are dying, you know, already. Already those are fragile areas. And if they are fragile, it means that what is happening elsewhere, people not having enough to share is actually affecting them. So the Horn of Africa is usually a very difficult area. But then we also have some parts of Africa who depend a lot on wheat. We may not eat as much bread in Kenya as, as, as other areas, but we do. We depend on it a lot, you know, increasingly now we're having to eat bread just like everyone else does. So we are being affected. So it's already the fragile areas, you know, who are being affected even much, much more than others. Professor Ruth Onyango, many thanks for joining us here on the agenda. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. The conflict in Ukraine delivered an immediate shock to global energy markets. Now the planet is facing a deeper crisis, a shortage of food. The United Nations has stated the crisis in Ukraine could lead to a hurricane of hunger and a meltdown of the global food system. And that's because a crucial portion of the world's wheat, corn and barley is now trapped in Russia and Ukraine, while an even larger portion of the world's fertilizers is stuck in Russia and Belarus. The result is that global food and fertilizer prices are soaring. Since the Russian military operation began, wheat prices have increased by 21%, barley by 33%, and some fertilizers by 40%. Food may make up a modest share of household budgets in the rich world, but it accounts for more than 20% of consumer spending across most of the emerging world, and about 40% in sub-Saharan Africa. Prices had already risen substantially over the past couple of years, owing to interruptions to production and extreme weather. According to the UN, global food prices in real terms approached an all-time high in February. 
they'll have only gone up further since. And those price increases are having a major impact in Europe and beyond. For example, the World Food Programme, which sources a full 50% of its wheat from Ukraine, says its monthly costs have risen to $71 million a month, which means they'll be able to afford to reach 4 million fewer people than before the conflict began. In Africa, where COVID, climate change and regional conflict meant millions were already living in food poverty, that will be felt particularly harshly. Although, as Ruth Oniago told me, Africans are resilient and farmers are trying new techniques to overcome food supply problems. It's the same story in Europe, but according to Pekka Persinen, farmers have learned important lessons from the COVID fallout. In short, Europe in future simply has to be more self-sufficient in terms of food, fertilizer and animal feeds. Coming up on a future agenda, hunting the unicorn where to look to invest in a billion-dollar startup. But for now, from me, Stephen Cole, and all the Agenda team here in London, it's goodbye.